the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Lord's Table, a little bit of wine and a little bit of bread. We use it to remember what Jesus did on the cross. But its roots and foundation go far beyond the cross. And they begin in Egypt thousands of years earlier. Welcome to today's broadcast of Walk Through the Word with Pastor Kent Dresdo from North Creek Church in Walnut Creek. We're in the midst of our study through Exodus, and we find ourselves today looking again at chapter 12. Eh, let's be honest. God doesn't always make sense to us, does he? Sometimes he calls us to obey him, even when we don't quite understand the hows and whys of it all. So how do we deal with all of that? Well, let's find out together, shall we? Follow along, Exodus 12, as we join Pastor Kent on today's broadcast of Walk Through the Word. We assume then that from the time that Joseph, at the end of Genesis, was blessing the, the, the family of Jacob to when they started to experience their first kind of initial forms of affliction and hardship would have been about 30 years or so, and then the affliction started to kind of ramp up until Exodus 1 hits where it's full-blown. And that's how you can reconcile the difference between 430 years in this passage, Exodus 12, and then Genesis 15 with the promise of God of 400 years of affliction. In other words, there's nothing again, (laughs) there's nothing again imprecise about this. God is fulfilling his word precisely. And what I love about this passage here in verse 42 is the phrase that says at the very beginning of the verse, it was a night of watching by the Lord. It was a night of watching by the Lord. I mean, here is the Lord, Yahweh, watching over his people that night. But don't forget what else Yahweh was doing that night. Yahweh had another job that night, didn't he? What was his other job? Well, his other job was back up in verse 29. His other job was to strike down all of those in judgment who did not trust in the blood of the lamb. And so here is God that night being both the deliverer, the savior, and the destroyer, the one who judges. And isn't that exactly who we see God to be? The God who is infinite in the expression of his mercy, who delights to save the people who are called according to his name, and who is also the God who will not let sin endure, who will not let rebels continue in their rebellion and will make sure that he stands in judgment over them. God's mercy and God's judgment are on display this very night. And it's why in perpetuity, Passover was to be a a festival for God's people, Israel of watching because the Lord that night was watching for them. Verse 42 says, therefore this night is to be a night of watching kept to him. And that wordplay, by the way, is intentional. You heard it even when I read the scripture. It was a night of watching by the Lord, verse 42a. So this night is a night of watching kept to the Lord, 42b. Very intentional. 
very purposeful. And you know what's cool? You know what's cool about this, kids? If you're listening in, is that God worked the night shift that night. He worked the night shift that night. And you know what else is cool? God works the night shift every night. I know there are some medical workers who are working hard right now, and we are totally supportive of them, super thankful for them. I don't know how many of us have said thank you to them, probably not often enough. And if you're watching and you're involved in medicine, we just are super thankful for the work that you're doing. You work a night shift sometimes, and I think you recognize pretty quick the limits of your endurance, don't you? I mean, you you stay up all night. I know in seminary there was one semester where I stayed up every night on a Wednesday because I had, I don't know, I think I had like two Hebrew classes and one Greek class and then one like New New Testament introduction class, super technical, on Thursday. And no matter how hard I worked all week, I ended up on Wednesday spending all night on Wednesday studying for that day on Thursday and would get to the end of the day on Thursday and absolutely collapse every week that semester. I remember the limits of my endurance. Isn't it remarkable that we don't have to ever be concerned about what happens at any time of the day, including the dead of the night, because we serve a God who keeps Israel and the God who keeps Israel, Psalm 121 verse Four says, it's a God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. God has never closed his eyes for one second of all of eternity. He doesn't need to. His strength wells up in himself. And out of his strength that he has in and of himself, he freely gives to us. So that the Bible says in Psalm 127 verse 2, he gives to their, his beloved even in their sleep. God's giving while you're sleeping. God's keeping while you're sleeping. Praise the Lord that God works the night shift in your life every single night of your life. Kids, you don't have to be afraid. There is always someone right there at your side. The Lord God, praise the Lord for his night shift work that's signally seen on this night with his care and compassion for his people. Watch for the Lord. Watch for that rabble and watch For these details, as the Exodus begins, verses 37 through 42. But I want to spend the rest of our time talking about the the, maybe the the passage in verses 43 through 50, that is, or 51, that really forms kind of the, the capstone to the beginning of the Exodus. And it's the section with regard to the Passover and the institution of the Passover itself. We know that the Passover is a memorial service, don't we? It's it's not a spiritual service. There's no like crazy transubstantiation stuff going on here. Verse 14 calls it out. It is a memorial. It's meant to draw attention back in your mind to remember the Passover. That's why I called this sermon, do this in remembrance of God, of the Lord, of Yahweh. When is, as the text turns to the institution of the Passover now, the, the actual structure of observing the Passover on into the future, when is the Passover to be observed? Well, verses 40 through 42 tell you the night of Passover, that first Passover, becomes on the calendar year the next time you observe Passover. And every year it's to be observed at the exact same time. And so that's what happens. The, the when of the Passover being observed is found in 40 through 42. But, but in this following paragraph, there's a great concern about who can observe Passover. Who can observe Passover? And on a first reading, you're like, I don't like the sound of that. It sounds kind of exclusive. 
It sounds kind of restrictive. Well, brothers and sisters, I've spent a lot of time with you talking to you about the mixed multitude, haven't I? It wasn't just 15 or 20 people that left with Israel. It was a massive horde of people, totally ethnically diverse. And when you're celebrating Passover in the future, how do you provide guidance to who can take and who can't amidst this sea of ethnically diverse people coming from all over the place? Because Egypt was, at that point, a little bit of the melting pot of the world. And so this who may observe the Passover question is a critical question to answer right up front for the people of God. And the main issue at stake in this paragraph that can sound kind of weird is who are all these groups of people? What are they doing here in a section about Passover? And God is concerned about it too. So that on day one of this new nation's history, he provides some much needed help on the question of who could and who couldn't participate in Passover. And so, by the way, in order to understand God's word about the Passover, which I think has some carryover into the Lord's Supper, into our communion service in our church context, we need to look at, first of all, the parties in question. The parties in question. And the parties come up right here in verse 43. Look at this. This is a statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. No foreigner shall eat of it. Now, the Hebrew word for foreigner is nekar, a term for those who choose not to become part of the covenant community. They choose not to. This has nothing to do, this word foreigner, has nothing to do with racial or ethnic discrimination. It's not about that at all, actually. Because they could easily choose to become part of the covenant community of Israel if they want to. There's an obvious path to that in this paragraph. And they're choosing not to. These nikar are not allowed to partake of the Passover feast because they have chosen not to become a part of the covenant community of Israel in the way that God has prescribed. And then the next group are slaves in verse 44. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 44. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't strike you, but have you noticed how the, the former slave state of Israel now has slaves themselves? That from day one, the newly formed nation of Israel has slaves? We don't even know how that happened. There's no explanation given. There's a clue, though. Every slave that's bought for money, which must mean that in this place, there were people who were literally willing to sell themselves to Israel in order to get out of Egypt. That must be in context the only solution for why there must have been slaves accompanying a, a, a country that was a slave country just one day before. I mean, slaves can't have slaves. So how do they have them on day one? It must be because the, the person who is following them out of the land says, um, I want to go with you. And they're basically selling themselves. They're giving money to Israel in order to follow them out and become their servants for an agreed upon price. Now we're going to see more about this group of people, slaves in this context, servants in the book of Exodus. But for right now, it's just interesting to note that Passover was not restricted from slaves. It wasn't restricted by social status. So that's an important note to note. Slaves who are a part of the covenant community could partake with the rest of their household 
given circumcision. So there is not to be some kind of exclusion of slaves from the worship of Yahweh. And then another group in verse 45, a group I'll call temporary residents. Now that's the word that you see in your ESV, foreigner. In the NASB, it's the word in verse 45, sojourner. And the Hebrew word is tosav. It's, it's basically best understood as temporary resident who's simply visiting someone in the land, the future land of Israel, or is just kind of traveling through. Maybe they're going from Egypt over to Assyria and they're literally traveling through your country. They have no interest in Yahweh. They have no interest in the covenant community. And so then maybe they're traveling through during Passover, during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and, and someone might be wondering, well, but they're my, they're my uncle's relative from Egypt. Can they just have the meal with us? And the answer is no, no. A person who's not joined themselves to the covenant community cannot observe the Passover because the Passover is about what? It's a memorial stating that you have trusted in the blood of the lamb for God to deliver you. And if it's not true of what you actually believe, then you can't observe it in good conscience. It would be sin to you and bring judgment upon you. Remember, there were no hotels back in this time period, right? And so people would travel through your area and they would try to find a house to stay in or someone to stay with. And that's what's going on here. And so they were also prohibited from taking Passover. Verse 45, another group, hired workers, hired workers. Well, um, it seems like these guys and, and these people were doing some work on someone's property, in the future promised land or someone's um, land, for example. And they were staying with that person while doing the work. They're not permanent workers. They're not permanent residents. They're project workers whose interest is work only, not worship. If their interest was work and worship, that is to say, if they were willing to take the sign of circumcision, if they're willing to become a part of the covenant community, then they would have been welcome too. But the, the idea is these workers are so short term that they're not interested and so they're prohibited also from partaking of the Passover if their only focus is on work, not worship. And then another group down in verse 48 are the strangers. This is merely a catch-all term that encompasses any and all of the people who are with Israel who are not native-born to Israel. In other words, this is kind of a summary paradigm in verse 48 law for anyone else who for any reason wants to partake of the Passover. They absolutely can See, this isn't supposed to be understood as just exclusive. You read it and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Here's the part in God's word where it just is a bunch of thou shalt nots. Actually, do you see that? It's actually surprisingly an invitation. There's an invitation here open to anyone really who wants to partake of the Passover. As long as they become part of the covenant community through circumcision. And when they do that, there is no longer, verse 48, any difference between the stranger and the native born person. No difference. And then the last group is the native-born person. These are the ones who will eventually, in the land of promise, be born in the land. Who have a stake to the land. And native-born is exactly the right translation for the Hebrew term. There's nothing more to explain about it. And so those are all the different kinds of people who could be kind of swimming around in the promised land eventually who might have questions about who could participate and who can't. And I think that that's actually super helpful that God's wisdom is to prescribe that right up front. 
and to open the door wide for anybody who wants to worship Yahweh and commit their lives to him by, via circumcision, which is the way that pre- people are going to come to faith in Yahweh. We'll explain that in just one minute. But then, but then prohibit it from people who have no interest in that. In fact, to answer the question about circumcision, I think is key at this point. Who could and who couldn't partake of the Passover celebration just simply comes down to circumcision, doesn't it? If you're circumcised, you can. If you're not circumcised, you can't. But think carefully about circumcision. Use Abraham as an example. I mean, Abraham, after all, was the one to whom circumcision, the right of it, the sign of it, was given at the very beginning. So go back to the beginning and remember that it was Abraham who believed in God by faith in Genesis 15 first. And after he believed God by faith in Genesis 15 verse 6 and was saved, Paul would say, then Abraham followed that faith with circumcision second, Genesis 17, as a sign of the faith that he already had in Yahweh. So circumcision, when it's being referenced here, is being understood by the people of God who know who Abraham is and know about his life. Circumcision was the external demonstration of what it meant to follow Yahweh, to commit your life to Yahweh, to be accepted into his covenant community, Israel. And it was that circumcision understood in that way that qualified someone to partake of the Passover meal. So it's not just a rite of circumcision. It's this sign of circumcision that tells the covenant community of Israel that I have actually committed my life by faith to follow Yahweh. With regard to women being qualified or not, the simple answer is that female qualification lies in connection to their relationship to their circumcised husbands or fathers. If a woman was in agreement with her circumcised husband or father, then that would qualify her for the Passover observation. Widowed woman who once had a circumcised husband would need to continue their affirmation of their covenant commitment and then would be qualified and remain so. Single women would need to affirm their faith shared by their father to be their very own, but, but affirmed in that same way. It's actually kind of common sense, isn't it? This isn't rocket science. It's just common sense application of the law, which by the way, common sense application of the law is something that was forsaken when the Pharisees come on the scene in Jesus's life and ministry, they would build in on top of the law, their own law that suffocated God's law. And that was not common sense and actually ended up invalidating the law of God itself. But here there's a simple path circumcision as the external sign of an internal faith. Now, how Passover was to be observed, I'll just walk through this briefly. Because it's not just when it's to be observed, 40 through 42, or who can observe it, uh, 43 through 49. It's also how it should be observed, verses 46 and 47, right in the middle of the paragraph. That gets called out. And it's to be observed how? Well, in one house. In one house. You see that in verse 46. You can, by the way, not understand that to mean family. It's meant to be household because don't forget it could be a family with also qualified strangers and also qualified slaves and so forth. So this is much bigger than just your family. Potentially think household Passover should also be observed with one lamb 
one lamb. And that's to remind people in the future of the blood of the lamb singular that saved the life of the firstborn during the 10th plague. The lamb gave its life so that the firstborn wouldn't have to die. The lamb died in the place of the firstborn son, which is what you sang earlier. The lamb of God who died for me. And then it's to be one whole lamb. Verse 46 kind of captures your attention, doesn't it? You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. Whoa, wow, wait a minute, time out. You can't break a single bone of the lamb? Correct. Hmm, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Not one of the lamb's bones will be broken. Now the law isn't described here at all. It's not, it's not explained at all here. But it's explained later. Where in John 19, we find at the cross that Jesus fulfills this little part of the Passover when he on the cross dies so soon that when the guards come to check on the status of the three who are crucified, they find the two robbers to still be alive and they break the legs of those two men so that they'll expire fast. But when that guard comes to Jesus, John 19 verse 32 through 33 he finds Jesus already expired and so doesn't break his legs and not one bone of Jesus's perfect sacrificial lamb sacrifice is broken in order to fulfill this little phrase in 46B. I just love that. The cross is so amazing, isn't it? It's just, I mean, how many things are being fulfilled at the cross? How many biblical realities are being fulfilled at the cross? How many doctrinal realities are, are coming to fruition at the cross? One sacrifice that explodes with significance for us in the gospel. And, and I don't know how many things are happening at the cross, but like thing number 72 that's happening is that Exodus 12, 46b is being fulfilled. I love that about the cross. You can study it for a lifetime and never exhaust the significance of Christ's once for all sacrifice, the one lamb who didn't have one bone broken. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the cross, fulfilling even the smallest detail of the institution of the Passover. And then notice that it's to be observed by one congregation of Israel. The one congregation, verse 47, shall keep it together. The word congregation is key. It signals that there is a oneness to the people of God. And in fact, you see that in verse 50. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel, the congregation of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts, by their armies. It's one congregation. Now, can I just close by saying this? There are ties to Christ and the Lord's Supper here. And I hope that you notice that. I hope you've already seen that at our Good Friday service. And again, last week, and now again, even this week. But can I just tell you, I want to close. I might, be, I might go a little bit long here. But it's for a reason I want to explain to you because it affects us as a church. There are important ties to Christ and the Lord's Supper here. It's very relevant for our situation in two ways, I think. Number one, this passage is telling us that guarding Passover is important. Guarding Passover is important. Who can participate is very important to God. And no one who hasn't placed their faith in the Lord can participate in Passover. No one. God is guarding the gate and he wants it guarded from day one. Passover, in other words, was for believers. 
It was a matter of grace, not race. Celebrating Passover was about celebrating God's salvation through the blood of the lamb. And I got to tell you, that same principle applies to the Lord's table to communion today. Like Passover, the Lord's table or communion is not for everyone. It's only for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 29 is so important. When it issues a warning to God's people, the church, the visible church gathered and says, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should not observe this table. You should not partake in an unworthy manner, Paul says. The old reformers used to call this fencing the table or guarding the table. At the very least, what it means is, is that communion is not for those who don't know Christ. It's inappropriate and even dangerous to participate in communion without receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior first. Well, we are glad that you've joined us here on Walk Through the Word with Pastor Kent Dresdo, our pastor here at North Creek Church in Walnut Creek. Well, as we close out our time together today, we'd like to remind you that if you would like more information about Pastor Kent or North Creek Church, you can go to walkthroughtheword.com. That's walkthroughtheword.com. Join us each weekday as Pastor Kent opens his Bible and teaches directly from God's Word. And if you are in the greater East Bay or Walnut Creek area, you're more than welcome to join us for worship here at North Creek Church in Walnut Creek and experience worship together. Our mission is to build Christians that worship God, walk in love, and witness to the world. You can click on the North Creek Church link at walkthroughtheword.com for directions and service times. If you've been encouraged and blessed by the teaching today, we would invite you to help sustain this ministry through your prayerful monthly giving. Again, you can visit us at walkthroughtheword.com or northcreek.org. And then join us again next time as we take another Walk Through the Word with Pastor Kent Dresdo. Walk Through the Word is the ministry of North Creek Church here in Walnut Creek. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.